Going through a divorce is daunting and can make you feel financially vulnerable. Ampla Finance can help. Unlike other loans, there's no need for any ongoing monthly repayments. You're only charged loan interest on the amount of money used to pay your solicitor's fees as your case progresses, and the easy-to-use online tool keeps you in full control throughout the process. Your loan is normally repaid in full when you reach settlement, so between now and then, you have peace of mind that the cost of your divorce won't impact your day-to-day -day needs. Ampla Finance puts you at the heart of everything they do and can help you to make the fresh start you're looking for. To find out more, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.amplifinance.com. Welcome to episode two of series seven of the Smart Divorce podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about no-fault divorce. So it was a year since no-fault divorce came in in England and Wales yesterday. Um, 6th of April 2022 was the date that it became law in England and Wales. And today we're going to talk about the impact of no-fault divorce. Has it had the effect that we imagined that it would? And how can you go about having a good divorce? I'm joined by some absolutely fantastic guests who I know you're going to really benefit from today. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by three fabulous divorce professional specialists with me this morning. I'm going to ask them each to introduce themselves in turn so that you know who we're talking to today. Um, I'm Tamsin Kane from Smart Divorce and I am a divorce specialist financial planner. And I'm going to crack straight on and introduce you to Sue Palmer Khan. Sue, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm Sue Palmer Khan, aka the Divorce Doctor and Principal of the Divorce Coaching Academy. Um, I'm based in Liverpool and as well as being a divorce coach, I'm also a discernment counsellor to help people make that decision whether it's the right one to get divorced or not. Ah, okay. So that's what a discernment counsellor is. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Sue, and thank you for being here. Um, and next we have uh, lovely Tom in his lovely yellow chair. Tom Nash, uh, welcome. How are you today? Um, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Uh, hopefully, I'm Tom Nash, uh, aka Mr. Divorce Coach. Um, I am one of very few male divorce coaches in the UK. Uh, so myself and my fellow colleague from Divorce Coaching Academy, Sue, here are trying to change as well as so we train more people to be divorce coaches and support people. Uh, my remit is where you have the triage of support of legal and financial. My remit is in the emotional and practical support, uh, working with clients, helping them to overcome negative emotions, rebuild confidences and self-esteem through things like communication strategies, uh, positive co-parenting, things like step families and blended families. Uh, that's a little bit about me. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. And um, we're recording this the week after Tom has had his 15 minutes of fame appearing on this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all very, very proud of him. If you want to go in there on um, the internet, I'm sure you'll be able to Google and see Tom answering some questions on this morning. Um, and finally, last but not least, we are joined by the fabulous uh, Vicky Richardson. Hi, Vicky. How are you doing? 
Hi, Tamsin. I'm very good. Thank you. Um, my name is Vicky Richardson. I am a specialist family lawyer in Wilmslow, Cheshire. I've been qualified for 24 years and I, I know I don't look it. And I specialise in divorce, financial matters and um, children issues. And the irony of you telling us that you don't look it is that Vicky's <laughs> not got a video on today because uh, unfortunately her internet is playing around a bit and she's she's got a kind of 80s pop video or black and white 30s film thing going on so for those of you who are watching youtube you won't be able to see vicky um but she doesn't look like she's been in the industry for 24 <laughs> years doesn't at all. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about um no fault divorce because we are um just yesterday was when we're when this is released would have been the one year anniversary of no fault divorce finally um coming into force in the UK or in England and Wales should I say so Vicky can I start with you could you tell us a bit about what no fault divorce is and how it changed things from from the situation that we had prior to um prior to the 6th of April last year um, yes, Tamsin. So prior to the 6th of April last year, you could only get divorced on one of five grounds, um, unreasonable behaviour, adultery, two years separation with consent, five years separation or desertion. So that brought with it a lot of acrimony in those cases that weren't eligible for two years separation with consent divorce. So I would have many clients coming to see me, dropping divorce papers on the table, which is based on unreasonable behaviour and saying, I'm not agreeing to that, blah, blah, blah. She did this. He did this. So from day one, there was acrimony between the parties. It didn't hold itself to starting things in an amicable way and trying to resolve financial matters. No fault divorce set out to change all that in that the only ground now available for couples who want to divorce is that of irretrievably break breakdown and the divorce papers literally state that the marriage is broken down and a divorce should be granted alongside that the um, terminology has changed to make it more user-friendly um, but generally I think it's gone very well I've seen basically all the acrimony go out of the actual divorce aspect um, and that leads so much better to reaching a resolution with regards to financial matters because the parties on on top of the ceiling to start off with they, they've come off it a little bit so yeah it, it certainly worked well from where from where I can see yes fantastic that's good to hear Sue what about your experience has yours been similar to Vicky's on the whole yes I mean the majority of people try to keep the children in the center and not put them in the middle and so they're working towards a child-centered divorce however there are still some occasions when it doesn't go as smoothly you know if, if one of the partners has got um narcissistic tendencies they still want their pound of flesh and they can't see why they have to agree to everything because, you know, they've got very black and white thinking. So every, everything is either all right or all wrong. There's no half measures. Do you tend to be working with the person who who wants to try and resolve things amicably and then you're 
battling against somebody on the other side who perhaps doesn't? Or do you tend to work with the couple or how how does it work with with your clients? In the main, I work with just one person and it's generally the person that really, you know, is asking for help and therefore wants it to go smoothly. However, I find when I do work with couples, um, it's getting more common now because, as you know, people can apply for a, a joint filing for divorce. And so they're actually now looking for joint help to get through the divorce. And that has been absolutely fantastic. You know, they're so much more cooperative. Even when you mentioned pensions, which was always the big bugbear before. Yeah, they're not getting their hands on my pension. I think what I would say is that obviously there are still cases where there's lots of acrimony and I hate to say the word hatred for the other party. But I think it all very much depends from a lawyer's point of view how we deal with it from day one. So my advice to the client is, okay, I know you're upset. I know I appreciate that. But ultimately, I hate to say it, but the court's not bothered about that and not bothered about why your divorce, your marriage has broken down and what the reasons are for your divorce. The court is very much looking at how do we sort matters from here with regards to finances and children? And therefore, you know, you have to put your feelings aside and try and concentrate on that. There will always be cases where one party doesn't want to do that and where you might have a controlling narcissistic person, which obviously brings its own issues. But yeah, generally on a whole, I think it has been beneficial for everybody to take, to try and take the acrimony out of the divorce process. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, what, what's been your experience post no fault divorce coming in? Yeah, uh, not too dissimilar to both, uh, to both Victoria uh, and Sue. I think for, for, as we're all kind of in agreement, for, for the most part and for the majority, it's been a great introduction of a way to lessen that can potential contentiousness and even, let's say, lower level conflict. I'm not talking about serious situations of uh, various types of abuse here. I'm just talking about in the whole. I think what it's also offered is, again, for a larger proportion of the divorcing and separating population, that those that wanted to go about their separation of divorce in an amicable way now have an opportunity at least to do so, even in most amicable situations on, let's say, the old way of doing things pre no fault divorce even that in an amicable situation could cause some potential contentiousness because you would still have to note someone has to be a good person someone has to be a bad person and even that could start and kick off some potential challenges uh, and breakdowns in communication so i think generally speaking as a whole yes something needed to change the old way was the old way because it, it was outdated it wasn't fit for purpose so there needed to be something Again, you can't really understand as much as you can prepare for and all the rest of it. Um, you can't necessarily pre- prepare for all eventualities until you put something into practice. Um, much like I suppose what Sue was kind of touching on there, you are still going to have, even regardless of things like personality disorders, like narcissism and so on and so forth, there are still, I'm starting to see, again, I suppose the clients that come to me, much the same as Sue, they want to do something better. I won't have a client come to me who wants to do things worse because they won't bother coming to somebody like me, right? Unless they're coming for validation that they're doing the right thing, they're going to be told that they're not and shown that they're not going to be the work that we do. And it does happen, but very far and few between. 
But I think what I am seeing on the flip side of all the positives, what I am seeing is exactly what Sue were talking about. There are still going to be people out there that want their emotional justice and no fault divorce isn't giving them that because they want to associate blame. They want to say, hey, you did me wrong. You hurt me. So unfortunately, in practical real terms, the outcome of that is, well, if I can't stand up in court or have it noted that you did whatever, you paid me no attention, you had an affair, you did whatever it is, that will take other routes. So what I have started to see is an increase of where the negative party or the party that wants that emotional justice in that respect wants to associate some blame. They're looking at different routes to, to attribute that blame. And that might be through dragging through the financial process um, and going for more of the finances. Unfortunately, obviously, the, 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 my passion area of working with co-parents and people with children and um, et cetera, unfortunately, what I also see is quite a rise in the trying doing the opposite of what Sue and I say around putting the children in the centre, not the middle. I see a lot of people that are doing the reverse. It's inadvertently, it's weaponizing that situation even more so. I'm not saying that that's increased the amount of people that are doing that. I would say it's just that the people that were probably always going to do that anyway are now just doubling down. And it's making things slightly harder for, for a lot of mums and dads who are trying to do it amicably that want to work in a, in a successful either co-parent or even parallel parenting situation. Um, so some of that it, it is causing some contention for people. Uh, it's just about how we work through it and how we help them understand it and trying to change that narrative for people uh, as well. So I, like anything, there's, with any change, there's always going to be some good and bad, some yin and yang. We need to figure it out and work through it. And I think that a year on, we've seen, we're all saying that we've seen some really good positive shifts. It's just that percentage of the market that is having challenges or further difficulties that we need to now really focus on. How do we now help deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how, how would you go about helping people who are feeling those things that Tom Tom's explained um, people are feeling where they've not been able to go and you did that and you did that and you did that on a form and therefore they kind of want somewhere to have their wrongdoings noted or or recognised I guess. Yeah that's a really difficult one but you know, I, I try to say to them, if you can't be am amicable, at least be dignified. And that tends to smooth some of the waters because, you know, I try to get them to think, well, in five years time, how do you want to look back on your divorce? How do you want your children to see you as a role model? Because getting divorced is setting a role model for problem solving. And if they are going to be destructive, they're not going to be good role models for the children. And they're going to look back with horror. You know, did I really behave like that? Whereas if they are more con constructive in the way that they, they work, they're going to have very different feelings and they will heal faster. Because yeah. they're not storing, you know, they're not internalising all these negative feelings. And yes, people are disappointed when they're not going to get emotional justice in court. But, I mean, the whole point is to try and keep people out of court anyway. Absolutely. Um, it shouldn't be a win-lose situation. It's got to, be, you know, we've everybody's got to compromise in some some way or other. 
and it's it's working with them to get them to see that compromise is not giving in. I think that's um, a lot of what I see. Um, when you have hostile parties, you see people who do see it as winning and losing. Um, and no matter what, they need to be seen to win. And what we advise all our clients is if you reach a settlement whereby both of you are not particularly happy with the agreement, then that's probably the right one. So you don't have any winners or losers Um yeah, and especially where children are concerned, you know, and that's very much the line of the court, particularly with shared, shared, shared with shared ownership, shared ownership, shared care order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we'll be having shared ownership of children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shared care of children to reflect the fact that they belong to both parties and neither party is a winner or a loser. What? Mind when you've got poorer parents rather than parents, you know, when you've got four-legged, it is shared ownership, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that can be just as contentious as, as shared parenting responsibilities of children. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up because me and Vicky just have just recorded an, an episode which will have gone out in, in Series 6, um, talking exactly on that subject of pets. Um because they so Vicky, you were saying that then there's not legal legal grounds in in terms of pets like there is with children. No, they're um, seen as possessions. Really, they don't have uh, a persona in law. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> more arguments over the dogs than we would over the children. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, something that that comes up a lot um, on particularly on social media i find is is about a good having a good divorce and people feeling like they've done the wrong thing because they've not been able to achieve a good divorce is there a way of i mean good divorce is a you know it's not a real thing it's a it's one of those social media phrases, isn't it? But is there a way of of achieving an amicable divorce if if you're the other person in your relationship who you're who you're divorcing has has no intention of of doing things nicely and being and being friendly? Tom, what's your what's your views on that? Yeah, I think that that then comes down to your own unique perspectives uh, of what you see as let's say good or uh, at least. If you can come away from things going, do you know what? I did the best I could. I played the part I could play. It's a bit like um, Michelle Obama's old, hey, if they go low, we go high, right? If you can, at the end of it, step away, when you get through all the formalities, legalities, financials, everything's going to and, and your new life is starting to settle in, if you can actually stand back from that, breathe a big sigh of relief and go, do you know what? Actually, I I did what I could in the right way, and I I can live with that. And I feel that, especially again with children involved, I have tried to approach this in the best way, and I will continue to do so and set a good example. Like Sue was saying a minute ago, and I have a phrase when I'm working with co-parents all the time: forget co-parenting. Don't don't think even think about the here and now. You've got three kids. Let's say your three kids have three kids. You've now got nine grandchildren's first birthdays, graduations, etc. How do you want a co-grandparent? How do you want it to be for your 
25 or 35 year old son or daughter when they have to pick the seating plan for their wedding and decide who does or doesn't come and I see it all the time with friends family colleagues clients when they're put into those scenarios so I think if you can I wouldn't say I had a good divorce in fact it was really horribly physically and emotionally draining for everybody what I would say is we have had a good outcome because we've all come away learning something, holding up a mirror to ourselves and go, and the article, I don't know, you mentioned about ITV this morning earlier, for anybody that's watching this, go and have a look at the time, Google Tom Nash and the Times, or even the horrible title that they gave it of, I left my wife for a, a woman I met on the train. Please look past the title. Um, myself, my ex-wife and my girlfriend did an interview with the Times a week ago. And it was about all three of us talking about our unique experiences, what it attained to us physically, emotionally, practically, of the same single event. We all had a different view. We all had a different experience. But all three of us were able to step back and go, do you know what? We all did things we're not proud of. We all hurt each other. We all tried to put the boot in, get our emotional justice. But actually, we have come through it. We've looked at what part we all played in that. And we've all learned from it to now do better, to now go, do you know what? That's not the right way to do it. And it's, those aren't the lessons I'm going to teach our kids collectively, all of us. And actually, we want to show them that sometimes adult relationships and marriages don't work out. But actually, there is a different way. And think about all those lessons that we try and teach our kids, anyone that's here that's a parent that's listening, like love, compassion, forgiveness, don't hold grudges, all those positive things that we teach our children but then we don't go and live up to them through our actions and behaviours as, as, as an adult. So actually now what are we doing through showing our children, like, oh, I can see actually mummy lets herself in and to dads and makes a cup of tea. I can see that they have a laugh and a joke together. And like, what are we actually teaching them about compassion, consideration of others, like how to treat people and treat others, but also how to treat yourself and go, do you know what? I, I did something wrong. I've learned from it. I learned from my mistake. I can do better next time. That's how you get not necessarily a good divorce, but a good outcome from your divorce. Yeah, absolutely. Vicky, how do you approach somebody who comes to see you who wants their day in court, who is determined for a for a full-on battle? Unfortunately for those people, Tamsin, I am quite honest and straightforward. Um, so my job from day one is to manage their expectations. So if I do have a client who's quite irate, um, my job is to just bring them down and tell them how it would work. And they can be as irate as they want to be, but the court's approach is going to be completely the same. Um, so, for example, pensions is also always a very thorny issue um, when people don't want to pension share. But you know, my job from day one is to tell them how the court would approach things and what the likelihood outcome is going to be so they know the position and then to try and just negotiate them down quite a lot. And I, and I you know, I think that's good advice what Tom just said about not necessarily co-parenting, but co-grandparenting. And I always say to clients, you know, you want your children to look back and say, oh, we were really proud of the way our parents handled their divorce and be respect, you know, and respect them for that. And I think by bringing in children and grandchildren, you're making it more human and more realistic and as Tom said, they want to be able to look back and say, yeah, um, 
we did as well as we could in the circumstances. And, and as Sue said earlier, I love the word dignified. I've not used that before, but I'll certainly be using it in, in future because <laughs> you want to be seen yourself um, in future, really. No one wants to think that people think they're undignified and uncouth. So, yeah, so I think that's a good way. You're not always going to be successful, you know, but I think um, a big part of my job is from the initial meeting to try and set the tone um, my letters were ne- are never going to be hostile to the other party. Resolution. We always set out to try and be amicable. Um, even, and I always say to clients, if you can, please notify your ex-partner that you're going to get a letter from a solicitor. Because what happens a lot is the first thing the other party will say is, you could have told me. So straight away, yeah. you know, you're starting on, a, on a, the wrong foot. Whereas if you tell them, then it's not unexpected and, you know, you're much more likely to have a good divorce rather than an unhealthy divorce. So it's just managing expectations, really. And, of course, everybody is different. Every character is different. And my job is learning quite quickly what sort of character I'm dealing with and um, trying to to address that straight away. Yeah, absolutely. So... You've talked a number of times, and, and Tom Tom uses this phrase, and, and I use it as well, about putting the children in the centre but not in the middle. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how how you see that working in practice, how you would like the divorcing couple to, to use that idea to move forward? Having a child-centred divorce means every decision you make, think, how is this going to affect the children going forward? What we don't want is for them to weaponize the children and put them as <laughs> almost like flying monkeys if you're talking in narcissistic terms, you know, sort of you know, sort of using the children to to hurt the other parent. Um, you know, especially if, if one partner has moved out of the out of the home. It's very difficult for them to perhaps see the children on a, a regular basis, or it can be made very difficult. Whereas if they think about what is this decision going to do to the children in the long term, especially their mental health, you know, if they, if they, I won't use the term alienating very lightly because it's, you know, it's, it's something that is really, quite contentious but if they're not facilitating the children seeing the other parent and making it really difficult that's not going to do the child any good in the long term because especially if the if the parent that they live with runs the other parent down the children are 50% one parent and 50% the other parent so they they're sort of dissing the half of the child and that has a really deep effect on them in the in the long term and can damage their attachments yeah absolutely i think um it, it is something you know when when couples get divorced they are always talk about the their concerns for the effect on the children and yet then perhaps take actions that don't actually reflect mm-hmm. that thinking because they're they're not using that thought process that that you talked about earlier which is 
making sure that every decision that you make and every action that you take is considering what the impact on those on the children will be and I think their recovery can be much quicker if if the parents are considering their um yeah. Their, yeah. their position throughout but it's yeah. a bit like the mirror that I was saying about earlier having to hold up to yourself and it's also to exactly what Sue was saying asking the question actually how is this affecting the children immediate short etc long term but then you really have to kind of re-ask the question again several times to yourself so okay what how is this going to affect the children and then is what i'm actually doing is that actually about me and my feelings or is that actually about what the children's wants and needs are because no child grows up disliking or 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 even hating um or wanting to be around one or another parent that that is a, a, apart from serious situations of abuse of course but in the whole in general that's a learned behavior and as Sue's saying that comes from our actions and behaviors Sue's heard me say a million times before I'm, I'm all for pronouns it's all over my LinkedIn but when it comes to things like co-parenting there's no place for pronouns right referring to the other parent as he him her she he always does that she's always like you're already did, did you did you see him did you see her in the town when you're right already you are undermining and deconstructing and creating a lesser hierarchy of the other parent and the child's subconscious your anger as a parent whether it's anger hurt whatever it is that emotion morphs as you put it into the child and it becomes their guilt, their resentment, right? their withdrawal. And exactly as Victoria was saying earlier, you will never know what you think you're doing as the good co-parent. You will only get that feedback from your children. They're your feedback of you doing a good thing. And if they are happy going between the two homes, if they are happy seeing both parents in, in a similar environment, or even just a handover, it doesn't have to be best friends. If they're not and they're saying, I don't want to go or whatever it might be, you are going to get times like that, right? Because there's confusions and fears, et cetera. But are you unpacking that and understanding that? Are you finding ways to work together, not necessarily in the same room? It can still be separately. What's the what's the underlying thing? What is it that is that why they don't want to go? What's the thing that's underneath? How do we work with it? Is it about the environment, where they're staying, sharing a room, whatever it might be, but how are we working together? for them, not ourselves. Yeah, I was, um, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, Tom, because you and me were talking the other day about a situation, you know, very similar to that, that the the child who's, an, you know, an older teenager doesn't want to go and see the, the parent anymore. And, you know, it is about finding out what the reason is, because normally it's not because of, of not wanting to see that parent, is it? No, no. Uh, yeah, I gave you an example of someone who, I think it was a teenage son from memory, that, um, said he didn't stop them going to dad's. Dad was a short-term staying with his older, elderly parents when they got to the crux of it. But mum quickly was saying, actually, he doesn't want to go. Like he's 15 or whatever. He can start making his own decisions. Got them talking about it. And it was something so silly and simple that, um, from memory, it was um, the grandparents had quite an elderly dog and whenever the son stayed over he shared the room the dog slept in his room and he didn't like the stinky old dog so it wasn't he didn't want to see dad he just didn't like the stinky old dog which was fine but again it's trying to look at what what is it that's causing it how you can support it exactly as sue's saying not trying to use and go into the words of alienation but the facilitation what obstacles might you be creating because again it's yeah. about accountability what, what am i bringing to this situation yeah. right so actually is the other parent 
being standoffish or quite negative in communications with me because actually I'm always doing something that's actually triggering that. So if I can be better and be different in my approach, well, then they can start to learn a mirror and then we can start to find a way back again. Yeah, absolutely. So I had an example the other day and I'd, I'd love your input in it because I'm sure this is something that, that comes up for, for more people than than just the person who brought it up with me the other day. Um, so my the person I was speaking to was the was the mum and I'm sure it happens the other way around as well. And when the children were going to see dad, um dad dad's girlfriend and and their children were always there and the kids wanted time just with just with dad. But mum was really struggling to to bridge that with dad and the children were getting were hitting a brick wall when they tried to discuss it with them. If if you got any suggestions as to how that could how that could be resolved, because I'm sure that's a fairly common situation where the children just want time with, with their own parent. It is it is common. And the only way to do it is to be direct. You know, for for the mum who's having these um feelings expressed to them to communicate directly with dad and say you know whoever it is you know they they really would like to spend some quality time with you on their own is there any chance that you know even if you only take them out for a meal just the two of you or just the three of you um just short periods of time it doesn't have to be the whole visit yeah because I, i think you know children when if they if they've not been um used to being in a blended family, they're going to feel almost usurped. Feel, you know, dad's living with these new stepchildren. Is he going to love me less? And they, they just want reassurance at times, knowing that, you know, dad's feelings to towards them haven't changed at all. It's just circumstances that have changed. But if mum can explain that gently, not forcefully, to dad, then I'm sure things can be made better. Yeah, it is really difficult, isn't it? Because the children have a relationship with their own parent and the new the new relationship that dad has isn't one that they've chosen and, and that new person in, in his life is obviously important to him, but they want time. And, you know, I've felt this myself. I've, my parents divorced. I've wanted time just even now as an adult, I would sometimes love to just see one, see my, my parent on their own without, you know, without my step parent being there, because that's who your relationship with is with. I never lived with either of my step parents. They're both fantastic people. I love them to bits, but sometimes I would like to see my parent without them being there. And and I think it is important for for parents to realise that that is the situation, that that new relationship is really special and important to you, but isn't necessarily going to be the same um, for your children. Equally, the it's also about creating a space where the children, let's say in this scenario that we've used as dad's children, yeah. equally start to create a bond and connect with the step parent as well. Sure. So actually they get some one-on-one time with just their step or stepdad uh, as well. But going back to what you're asking, Sue, as well, it's about creating that kind of space. And especially if you've got slightly older children, teenagers, 
how can you create a kind of family round table, a, a, a supportive environment? And again, making consistent. So if you're doing it once a month or whatever it might be, so actually creating a space where the children can actually come to it, to, especially not, not if they're quite young, of course, but within reason, um, but actually where they can bring that and create a space, say, look, actually, Dad, this is a thing that I would like to do. Like, I want, I just, I would just like you to take me to football practice on Saturday morning for an hour. The rest of the weekend's fine. But I just want to know that my dad's there at the sideline watching. We'll go back and do the other stuff afterwards. Um, but again, equally, like I said, kind of connecting with that step parent as well. Like my my eldest will and my girlfriend have a really, really close bond and they've been watching Game of Thrones together, but they have like an episode a weekend or whatever. But that's their thing. So they get an hour together and they kind of do that. So it's about everybody getting their own connection yeah. points. Um and, and to build that that openness of trust so that you can build more on the communication as you say yeah no that's really good advice thank you um i'm hoping that the people who were talking to me about it the other day will be listening um to this episode vicky i've got a question for you um that came up the other day and, and this is so, sort of relevant in the in the the kind of no fault divorce and the fault divorce that we that we were talking about before so there used to be five grounds as you as you said right at the beginning of the episode um and one of those was desertion so i'm assuming that desertion meant if you had no idea where your ex was no address for them no contact with them no friends or family that could get hold of them and and you just didn't know where they were that you could you could divorce them is is there a similar process in in place now? Um, no, there hasn't. There isn't, Tamsin, um, because the, the whole process for a divorce now is under no fault. However, we I I regularly you know have instructions from clients who don't know where their ex is currently living. Maybe it might have been a, length, um, a significant length of time since they separated, or their ex just won't tell them because they just don't want them to know. Um, so then enters the very good um, private investigator. And um, these days, it's actually very, very difficult to go missing, certainly with social media, mobile phones. So um, for a very small fee, private investigators can locate addresses for people very easily. Even if they're not in the UK? There are. Pro- um, I use a particular firm who have agents in different countries. So we have located people abroad. Yes. Wow. I have a question on that because, and again, you know, I know I know exactly where you were going with this, Townsend, because I had that exact question the other day, didn't I, this morning? Um, I've, since had, I've since had several emails with a lady and trying to point in the right direction, trying to help. She, uh, for that particular lady, we're trying to breach any confidentialities. This is almost 30 years that she doesn't know where her husband is. And at one point he was homeless. So we have no idea if he's even alive or dead and his last known address is 25 plus years ago and he's been homeless since so and he has as far as she's aware he hasn't worked he has no social media footprint she's checked and looked so what does she do so in that situation you can apply to the court for an order to dispense with service of the divorce papers because you don't know where your ex-partner is um but you have to show the court and the judge that you have tried every other option or and you complete a very quite a detailed statement as to where their last whereabouts were how that you tried to make inquiries of any family that you knew of and um, where they used to work whether there is some kind of trace in that yeah. situation where 
you know, you've got a party who may have been homeless and the trail's gone cold, then certainly you may well get an order to dispense with service of the divorce papers. So by, you know, the, the judge will just say, carry on. We'll have to presume that they don't want to be found or unfortunately they've either died. Um, so, yeah, it is it is possible, just a longer process. Cool. That's the, that's the answer I gave her, and, I'm, and I do caveat with I'm not a lawyer, so hopefully I helped her. You know, I'm, I'm just going to send you her email. <laughs> <laughs> By all means. She might be able to get Vicky on the, the private investigator guy. I, I love the idea of that. I've been watching um, Strike, so private. Oh, I'm all oh. about private investigators at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone's not watched it, BBC iPlayer, it's absolutely belting oh, series. I think that must be an interesting job in the old days where they actually used to go and watch people you know and then yeah but I'm nosy so I don't know I'm sure it's not as exciting in the real world it's very exciting on strike (laughs) (laughs) Um, just before we finish because we are coming together uh, to the end of our time together I don't seem to be able to speak today Um, just wanted to um, go around all three of you and just ask if you've got a tip for um, for trying to get through divorce in as um, friendly a way as possible. So we'll start with you, Sue. I think this is going to be an obvious answer. I think, you know, get your emotions sorted out before you try and ask the legal and financial questions because if you are coming at it from an emotional knee-jerk place, then you're not going to hear the answers and you're not going to ask the right questions. So work with somebody that can help you to get, I won't say get control of the of the emotions, but understand the emotions and can help you to formulate the questions that you need answering. Perfect. I love that. And and that's what I would always suggest as a starting point, because you can't start making financial, big financial decisions that will change your life if you if you're in emotional, emotionally charged state, can you? Um, Tom, over to you. Well, Susie's already stole mine, so that's what I was hoping to Well, you've got to think of another. In a similar manner, I mean, Susan, 100%, right, think about those professionals that can support you, right, uh, so legal, financial and emotional. Um, what I would say in terms of before you're even getting into that phase or even whilst you're in that phase, the other people you surround yourself with, your personal support network, not just the professionals, right, but look at who's around you, okay, and what parts of their experience, their life, their narrative is coming into it, right? Look at the people that are around you that maybe have been through a divorce or separation and have come out of the other side more positively as opposed to negatively. Ask them, how did you get there? What did you do? If you could go back and do it all again and know how to do it right, how would that? what would that look like? And also start to look at how you can be more accountable because you can't change the other person. We can't change and control their behaviours or their actions. All we can do is focus on what we do, what, what we can control. So be brutally honest with yourself. And it takes it takes a big, brave, courageous person to step back and go, actually, I should have done that better. I could have been a better person here. Right? Really look at yourself. What can I start to do better? Get that positive support network around you. If you've got people saying, 
take the house, take the kids, take the car, etc., and sacking them off and so on and so forth. That's still coming from a place of love and protection, but that's less about you and probably more about them. So actually look at positive people that you can model, positive situations you can model. Think of it like if you were starting a business, you wouldn't go and ask for a business coach or replicate someone who had a hundred unsuccessful companies and never made a penny. You look at the people that have been successful. What did they do, right? So go and learn and learn and model correctly and positively and, and be, again, honestly self-critical of yourself, but for a positive intention. How can I do that thing better? What can I learn each time? Um, and just look at what you're bringing to the situation. Perfect. I think that's great advice. Our, our friend Susan Lee, who, who is often a guest on the podcast, um, quite regularly talks about listen, by all means, listen to your friend's advice but then question, put it into your the context of your relationship. Is it relevant to you? And would they be following their own advice if they were in your shoes as well? So, which I think is uh, is really helpful. Vicky, last but not least, again. Of course, last but not least. Um, <laughs> I'm going to reiterate what both Sue and Tom said. Um, yes, sort your head out first and your emotions um, from an emotional point of view, I see so many clients who come to see me and cry for an hour, you know, um, with the best will in the world. Whilst I do have to be empathetic, I'm not a counsellor. So more often than not, I will send them away to go and get some counselling and come back to me because they're in no fit state to listen to the legal legalities and practicalities. Um, and I also reiterate what Tom said, um, being a positive headspace. Again, the number of clients I have and say, um, my friend got all the house or he got all the, you know, her pension and straight away they're expecting you to give them exactly what their friend got, even though it's particular, you know, completely set of circumstances. I think one big issue and one that we haven't touched on today, which is really important from a good um, no-fault divorce is mediation. Yeah. I always encourage all of my clients to go to mediation or at least consider mediation um because obviously whatever you agree mediation is so much better than having to fight it through solicitors or go through the process and um, a lot of mediators will do shuffle mediation these days so that you don't actually have to sit in the same room if you don't feel that you wish want to but you can still reach an amicable agreement and um, through that process and um, i don't think even now it's um used as well as it should be and um, i think the only on lawyers and the courts to see whether more parties can go to mediation and look at alternative forms of dispute resolution to reach an agreement without using the court process, which unfortunately due to delays could take up to a couple of years at this moment in time. So yeah, certainly mediation would be my final tip to consider. Brilliant tip. I love that. And and another option, I mean, there are so many options in mediation now, aren't there? But another option is hybrid mediation as well, isn't it, Vicky, where you 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 can be a lawyer in, you know, with your client and the other person can have their lawyer with them for, for that legal support, but the but in mediation um and not necessarily in the same room as well. Yes. Then you also have child-inclusive mediation as well for those that have got slightly older children. So you can actually, the mediators are specifically trained to interact with the children as well, really understand their wishes and feelings to help both the parents see what the true perspective is from their kids. So again, that can be a really useful approach. Yeah, absolutely. There are there are so many options available. I think it 
if you are going through divorce or thinking about going through divorce, looking at all the options that are available to you. Um, it, you know, it's not as straightforward as as just going to see a solicitor and and, and that's the be all and end all. And your solicitor will definitely, um, if they're a resolution person, um, tell you about all the options that are uh, that are available to you. That's what I was. I was literally just going to say that, Tamsin. I think a lot of people. <laughs> I'm going to engage the lawyers. It's battle. That's not how we work these days. You know, we do look at all the options. We want to reach things amicably. Yes, we may be doing ourselves out of costs and legal fees, but that's not our job anymore. You know, our job is to advise our clients to the best of our ability and give them all the options and find the best one, you know, suitable for them. So by all means, take legal advice, i.e. the options available to you, not necessarily in relation to just the law. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's on, also see. the, you know, the resolution are now trying to persuade people to work together with one solicitor, one solicitor yeah. per couple, which obviously, as if that can work, that's going to be a lot easier than, you know, two solicitors each trying to get the best for their own client. Yeah, absolutely. We've we recorded an episode in series six, if anybody wants to go and listen, um, with David Lister, who is one of the kind of spearheading this idea of um, if two clients, one solicitor. So if you want to go and have a listen of that, then you'll find out more about that. Thank you, Sue, for, for reminding us of that one. Um, thank you to all my guests today, to Sue, to Tom and to Vicky. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. I hope you have as well. And we will look forward to seeing you again for our next episode very soon. Hi, and I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Smart Divorce Podcast. If you would like to get in touch, please have a look in the show notes for our details or go onto the website www.smartdivorce.co.uk. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and you wouldn't mind leaving us a lovely five-star review, that would be fantastic. I know that lots of our listeners are finding this is incredibly helpful in their journey through separation, divorce and dissolving a civil partnership. Also, if you would like some further support, we do have a Facebook group now. It's called Separation, Divorce and Dissolution UK. Uh, Please do go on to Facebook, search up the group and we'd be delighted to have you join us. Um, The one thing I would say is do please answer their membership questions. Okay, have a great day and take care.